a platform for supporting the collective inquiry into deep impact. As a part of the Poetry of Impact, the Journey to Impact podcast brings to life the ebb and flow inherent on the path of impact, illuminating the interior journey of the hearts and minds of today's top leaders in impact. Here, you'll hear the intimate stories of those who push forward to overcome self-limitations and societal barriers, to co-create a world where one day all people and planet can thrive together. Hi, everybody. You're here with uh, Gino Borges, host for the Journey to Impact series. I'm here with our guest, Danny Almagor, and I want to welcome you to the third journey that we've done together. Uh, the first one was with Jed Emerson. The second one was with Lori Meyercord. And then we have some, some coming up as well shortly with John Fullerton, uh, Joel Solomon, and so on. And Danny, welcome. And I appreciate you being adaptable to our time uh, frame. What time is it in Australia today? Hey, Gina, it's, um, it's just after 10 a.m., so it's actually a beautiful time for me. I've gone for a walk this morning with my kids. I walk them to the local farmer's market every Thursday morning. Uh, so we're tomorrow for you. And um, and we have breakfast at the farmer's market. I'll buy all my things, pineapple, bananas, all the yum stuff for the week, weekend. And then I walk them to school. So I don't think it gets better than that. That's good living there. Yeah, that's very yeah. good. Living. So, so in, um, part of the inspiration for inviting Danny is is his work with uh, small giants, and in particular, the special focus and mission oriented direction that uh, Danny, his wife, and team, and family members have taken with um, their blessing. In terms of the universe has um, afforded them uh, an abundance of resources, and they've been compelled and confronted to navigate that path. And part of that path has been just as much as an interior journey as it has an exterior journey. And so part of the exploration today will be to understand how Danny's outward growth has invited him to look inward and vice versa, how the inward has been informing and shaping what he's doing in the exterior world. Maybe, Danny, just so because I'm familiar with the work that you're doing in the world, give us a sense of um, the inspiration behind uh, Small Giants and sort of a before and after. Before Small Giants started, what was going through you? Um, and then how Small Giants was a response to that that part of your uh, life. Yeah, there's... Um I mean, there's 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 the long story and, and the short story, and um, and I guess you know the long story, which I won't go into, really. I guess starts generations ago, as, as you know most people's stories do, with uh, both my parents and Barry's uh, one side of my parents, my mum's side and Barry's father's side, uh, Holocaust survivors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you know, that that leads us in a very interesting direction, um, being Jews from Eastern Europe, both Poland and Russia and having survived and come out after the Second World War, after the Holocaust to Australia. Um, on Berry's side, her family came out and, and managed to build a, a very successful uh, business, uh, you know, enterprise and, um, and you know, became a very, very wealthy family in Australia. Uh, my family did okay, but you know, not quite at the same, at the same scale. Um, 
and and you know and of course on on our other sides Barry's mother's side is Australian my father's side is Israeli so um, so lots of interesting stories there um, but I think contextually always you know again we we'll probably won't go into but you have to look at the deep history to understand the present mm. um, in terms of the, the modern history of small giants essentially Barry sort of Barry's background was in filmmaking and in the arts and storytelling. Um, she worked in Hollywood a little bit and was was doing um, um, screenwriting and, and directing and acting as well. Uh, and I'd started a non-profit called Engineers Without Borders, uh, which is about sending engineers around the world to do development work. Um, Barry's on the other side, for Barry, she had her investment, um, you know, family's investments and uh, for her, her story, very sadly, her father passed away very young. He was 45 and she was 14. And along with her two siblings, uh, the wealth kind of transferred down to her generation very fast, um, you know, as a, at a very young age, which is quite unusual for, the, for that type of um, family structure. Um, so Barry was involved or at least around the investing from a very early age. And for me, I was... You know, my father was a, an entrepreneur and a business owner and I started a business alongside Engineers Without Borders when I was sort of uh, straight out of university. So I guess when you sort of think of small jobs, I, I always think about it as, um, I guess, that integration of those four elements. You know, you've got sort of the creative storytelling, creative arts and storytelling. You have the investing. You have the non-profit, Engineers Without Borders, and um, the mission-driven and then you've got the um, the business side that I was you know, started and running the business in healthcare actually. So you sort of got you know entrepreneurship, uh, mission driven, you know values, investment and creatives, and that all came together when Barry and I got married. We sort of we looked at the resources we had, particularly the wealth, but all of our resources, you know, networks and connections and education and you know, and passions and all, all the energies that we have, money being being one of them, but in this case quite a big one, um, and said, well, how do, we, how do we integrate our lives? How do we integrate all these elements? Because they were separated. You know, for me, my non-profit work and my, my commercial work, and Emerson talks a lot about that, that um, bifurcation, you know, dissociation of, of parts of our lives and um, and really wanted to integrate that. And for um, for Barry, the same, you know, with her creative work and her investments, they were separated. So when we got married and got together, we really sort of thought, how do we bring all those things into one? How do we use business as a force for good, right, through creative pursuit with, with investing? And, um, and that kind of became small giants. We actually started off, we called ourselves hub and spokes because we sort of thought we would be at the centre and we'd find all these different projects, whether there were um, commercial investments, businesses we'd start or, or, you know, projects like, you know, creative projects that we do would all be the spokes out, out of the hub. And then we read uh, the book Small Giants by Bo Burlingham, which spoke about companies that choose to be great instead of big. And that was extraordinary. Right? That was a profound and um, and I remember ringing up Bo, you know, getting in touch with him and saying, listen, you know, we've been incredibly inspired by your book. Uh, would it be okay if we, uh, you know, took the name and named our company Small Giants? And he very generously said this is, you know, the whole point of the book is to encourage others to do it. Um, so, uh, so we did, and that's how Small Giants was born. 
Uh, and actually, interestingly, it was um, it was a very big challenge early on because the whole system is designed to tell you you can't do this, you can't be whole, you can't integrate your life, yeah. you know. You separate, you know. When you come to work, leave, you're a father, leave that at home. You know, you're a husband, leave it at home. You're a, uh, you know, a soccer coach, whatever you are, right, you know, you're a spiritualist, leave it at home, you know, you're at work. And, and the same thing, you know. We don't talk about work in in those contexts, and don't you know? Don't talk about religion, and don't talk about sex, and don't. And so all this stuff is separating us. Um, and when we sort of said we wanted to do small giants, which is, I, I like to think of it from an artistic perspective as as the, the great canvas. You know, the artist who sort of says, I just have to express myself. Um, and and you know, it's 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 all about letting what's inside out. Right, and for for us, small giants was our canvas, um, and everyone sort of from the old system, especially Barry's father who died. We had a lot of advisors and a lot of you know lawyers and accountants, you know all the all the usual people, you know investment bankers who were all there to help us protect us from ourselves yeah. um, from losing all the money, um, telling us you know this is not right and that's called philanthropy and this is not how you do it and you, you know you don't know and I'm a non-profit worker and Barry's an artist and between you you don't know how to manage money um so it's very scary in the beginning to sort of say no we want to be wholehearted in everything we do including our investing um and then and we started off but we started very gently and then the financial crisis hit mm-hmm. and um for us, I remember Barry was actually in one of her family's board meetings and she said, I remember, it was unbelievable, she just said, you know, we we're doing these deals which essentially, you know, without going into them, you know, both Barry and I felt it was just shifting money around, you know, making money by shifting money, not by creating deep value. Um, you know, sort of like you, you buy something off someone, then sell it back to them, and suddenly, you know, you've made lots of money. And, um, and Barry just said, the emperor's got no clothes. These things is, you know, this isn't this isn't business. This isn't we're not creating value. Um, and then, you know, within six months, the uh, the financial crisis uh, occurred and and it hit us, you know, hard. And from then on, Barry and I were like, well, you know, it was all these experts who told us they knew. And of course, what did they know? You know, these are, you know the experts. The experts used to tell us. You know, if you've got a bad back rest and then the experts told us if you've got a bad back exercise and then it's like, you know, now try this. Like we don't know, right, yeah. and especially in as complicated as, as our economic system and, and, you know, which is essentially a human behaviour experiment. It's not, a, it's not a numbers game, right, that, that everyone thinks. It's a feeling, right, you know. Um, and, and so that gave us the confidence to really step away and say we're going to completely detach from the old economy, the old, you know, the, the rest of the, the family and, and the old advisors and the way they do it. And we're going to create our own system, our own um, our own family office, which was Small Jones, and create our own investment sort of mandate and investment culture and, and that stuff. And that's how we really got into investing. And then by travelling around the world, obviously looking for others and thinking we couldn't be the only people in the world that are feeling this. Yeah. Uh, we started... We started meeting people like Charlie and Lisa Kleisner and Jed Emerson and, and you know, Laurie Mayacott, all the people that you're interviewing, you know, Joel Solomon, um, uh, and, and they were inspirations and, and colleagues. So how do you um, – you're also developing a culture just as much as you're doing a, a, a human enterprise and 
you broke it into four divisions, but can you touch on how really, I mean, those divisions only become impactful, impactful to this, uh, to the extent the, of the quality of the people that you have helping you and them helping, um, you know, themselves and helping out the regions and so forth that, I mean, you guys are, um, impacting. And because I think a lot gets lost in the idea of how front and central, you know, the quality of the person has to be and the intentionality. So maybe you can sort of explore that in relation to what I love is your premise on how business is really a potential vehicle for empathy and love. And so eventually I'm going to circle back to that, but I would like to sort of give people a grounded taste on what your cultures look like um, for the people that are associated with uh, the tribe at uh, Small Giants? Yeah, I mean, we um, we we have uh, sort of riffing off some of the great religions. We, we've played around with a few ideas. We have uh, our five principles of faith, thanks to Islam, um, you know, our take, uh, and the first principle that we talk about, and these are, these are basic principles that, that that go across what we believe should go across all businesses. And the first one is that people come first, right? Mm-hmm. That all the systems that we're talking about, our economic system, our capitalist system, our, you know, education system, you know, uh, all of them, right, you know, agriculture, they're, they're all about people, right? Like, like if we took people out, we'd leave it and call it the ecosystem, right? That's beautiful. Nature's, nature's sorted that one out. Right, nature has the ecosystem, and we created or the ecology, and we created the economy as the human system. Right, so I guess the first thing is to realise that it's all about people, um, you know, and um, and of course our job is the the um, the economy sits within the ecology, not the other way around. Yeah. But ultimately, if that's the case. We need to look at people. We need to look at relationships. We need to look at um, you know, how do we nurture people to be their best selves in, in this system? Uh, and, and so for us, we, you know, we, we have a whole lot of different things. We have something called the Eightfold Path to Enlightened Hospitality, a bit of a, a Buddhist reference there, and, and speaking about what do we expect people, um, how do we expect people to turn up, right, to, to face the other, whoever the other is, the, the friend, the stranger, even the enemy, um, in our interactions. And so, we, you know, we have things in the Eightfold Path to, like, assume the best um, or write the last chapter. So, you know, shit happens and sometimes things don't work out. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you end it right, by writing a positive last chapter rather than a negative last chapter if you can? Um, smile, just, you know, the, the greatest gift that we can give on earth. Um, so, you know, we try and try and put these things into the general vernacular, the general conversation, and, and hopefully encourage a different way of, of interacting. Um, I think also it becomes um, something that a, a great friend of mine, you, uh, brought up once, um, which was, uh, you know, the poetry of, of the work that we do as opposed to the grammar. And I think the, the, when I think of poetry versus grammar uh, in this space, you know, the grammar are KPIs, the grammar is me- metrics, you know, it's all these things that, that help us, you know, it's, a, it's essential when I'm reading a sentence, you know, without any full stops, it's really difficult to understand. Um, and that's, you know, that's the grammar. 
but it's the, but I'm not reading it for the grammar. I'm reading it for the poetry, you know, and um, and you know that th that was a beautiful analogy that you gave me um, a year ago now. And for me, that really sums up the essence. And when we talk about culture, culture is not the grammar. Culture is the poetry, yeah. um, you know, and all the things around there. So when we talk about these these rules or these these ideas, right? These are just help helpful hints along the way, you know, the comma and the exclamation mark to help you know how to, you know, how to translate it. But if essentially what we do is we have to work on the inner. We have to work on the person and and understand, as you said, their intention, their motives. Um, you know, assume the best is is not a reminder, it's a philosophy, right? So in the beginning it might be a reminder to certain people coming in, but ultimately we want it to be a deep philosophy, a philosophy of optimism, a philosophy of hope. A philosophy of love, um, and that's 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 how we that, that, that's that's how we begin. That's the intention that we bring to the work, and you know most of the time people come along on that journey, and you know sometimes it, it doesn't fit everyone, um, but but you know what we try and do is um, is offer opportunities for that personal growth, whether it's through emotional intelligence work or or spiritual work, you know. Um, or sometimes those two things intersect, which is beautiful. Yeah. What's your current, um, so in terms of the evolution uh, of the culture that you're uh, working on with your group, where, like, what's your role in it? And then, and just sort of an ego checking question, how do you sort of uh, attempt to keep keep yourself decentered so that you're not, are decentered for you you're not the focus per se mm. of the culture so people just don't come and looking for danny and barry but you're truly trying to honor the organic emergence of the ecology that you're creating so that you're one of many and the real power is in the nodes in the relationship not in terms of any one individual mm. and I'm very curious on what you, the kind of work that you do to keep that kind of awareness out in front of you um, and then also to understand relatedly where where does that put you in the current evolution of what um, you guys are working on? Mm. Um, so I guess my own my own inner work um, is really important. Uh, we I do it you know I guess personally you know through meditation or you know finding finding my own outlets for me cooking and gardening. Of very big meditations as well, as well as yeah. more of a formal practice um, and walking. Um, I, I, I'm the director of Yin. Sorry, I'm the director of Yang at the moment um, uh -huh. in small Meliane, who is um, who's an extraordinary woman, is our director of Yin. We actually sometimes swap over to confuse ourselves, but um, because of course men, um, both Yin and Yang, as as are females. Um, but but we, we really did that to sort of try and understand that the you know the, the integration of the masculine and feminine both in ourselves but also in society you know yeah. and, up, um, and she sees things I don't see and I see things she doesn't see you know um, we often refer to Barry as sort of the queen she sits above above the government um, because she's uh, you know both my wife which means she's the boss of the family and yeah and. Um, Beautifully, the you know the creative inspiration and creative director of Small Giants, um, but but essentially that's one way of sort of trying to hold that space. Um, we very much subscribe to the um, 
the reinventing organizations if you've read that book or anyone knows about that book um what's the name of again? reinventing organizations okay mm-hmm. the name of the book and um and lelou is um l-e-l-o-u-x i think it's spelled is the name of the author um but you know sort of I think I think to, to your question, it's understanding that leadership is real, right? Like like it's not to escape leadership and sort of say there's no one at the top, you know, there's no one with an idea. Um, there are, you know, um, but it's loose, right? It's the idea that actually, hopefully, everybody can come up with an idea. Everyone can lead in 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 a in a way in the organisation. Um, you know, and, and so we we try again not to have sort of a formal structure, but more you know what we call circles. That work, um, and different people lead different circles in, in different areas. Whether it's you know our Dumbo Feather, which is our magazine, or or our investment group, or our uh, property construction group, or whatever it is, you know, different people can take can take the lead in each of those. But with Meliani and I sort of sitting um, at that centre, holding holding the culture, you know, mm-hmm. holding that space. Um, but we have what we call boards of directors. We have something called guardians of purpose. We believe okay. that the role of the role of a board of directors is actually to protect the the purpose of the organisation to be you know integral. And again, coming back to that um, poetry grammar, you know, a lot of things that a board of directors is usually responsible for are hygiene. You know, don't trade insolvent. You know, make sure your tax returns are, are done on time, etc. Which is crucial. Again, like grammar. Yeah. But it's not the reason the board's there. It's like I don't, you know, I don't sort of, you know, I don't know, wash my hands as the purpose of my life. I wash my hands so that my hands are clean when I go and eat, right, yeah. and go go the day. So the guardians of purpose is actually the, the intention of, of what a board should be. So we've renamed it, which is funny because it abbreviates it, uh, to the GOP. So it's interesting yeah. for Americans. Uh, and our, our main office is called the White House. So we actually have GOP meetings at the White House all the time. Um, which, <laughs> um, but but this, and the idea of the Guardians of Purpose is, again, to bring more people in. So they become our, you know, sort of the the wisdom and, and the, um, the guides for the organisation. So, again, even as director of Yin and Yang, um, we still have this group, which, inclu- which includes a number of people from small giants who sit on that guardians of purpose and, you know, and have to really hold us to account. How does that, um, I like to know sort of uh, the case. Uh, So now I'm going to sort of shift to the other side of the brain a little bit and challenge you to think about, I think that there's a lot of optimization as a result of bringing the yin and yang energy to um, um, a business case, a business situation. Um, you know, when when people visit your website and look at your investment group um, and there's a list of properties that you guys have purchased and sold, there is um, renewable projects um, and energy projects and they're at scale and they're 50 to 150 million dollar funds that uh, you're creating. So but you don't see any yin and yang being referenced on that particular site, you see the conventional language where we look to sort of manage, um, you know, financial returns alongside social and environmental returns. What I'd like to know is just a little bit more of a richer textured look on how, because you embrace this value, it actually has increased the scope of business value for yourself. And 
I feel like the real potential is for us in the business space to actually transcend this concessionary narrative that's um, and this demarcated phenomena that's that's been languified within the impact space. But I really do believe that if we get really well and good on translating that our values are the actual strategy that's actually going to differentiate us. So using co-opting the language of the matrix and saying, no, it's not that we're on the sidelines. We are suggesting that the values that we are embracing are not just a better ethical way of doing business, but even if we used your conventional metrics, it's a better way of conducting ourselves in the world. So sort of take me through maybe a project or two where you really got a chance to see how your culture either gave you access to opportunities that normally wouldn't have come your way or some of the decision making that was made as a result of this culture that you're creating that wouldn't have occurred unless the yin and yang masculine feminine energy was present in the room. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. You brought up a few points. I guess the first one on the website, the Small Giants website, I think, is more of this language. And yeah. the Impact Investment Group, which is our main investment sort of vehicle um, that brings in external investors, has got very uh, old economy language. And and that, that's changing. So, you know, when we started it, we felt like like there was there weren't enough people who understood this. If I use the words, you know, love and, and relationships and, you know, um, uh, yeah, you know, empathy, yin and yang, uh, you know, in that world, like we just, you know, nobody would have understood five, six years ago when we sort of started that investment company. And I think I think the language there is still that. Um, both Barry and I and the team feel like it's time to shift that. So I think watch that space. That will good shift. And, yeah, it is good timing. Thanks. We can launch it now. Here we go. But it's, it, it is time to shift. And I think that the, the, time, the timing is exactly because of your second point, right, um, we believe. So, you know, 10 years ago, 11 years, 12 years ago now when we started Small Giants, impact investing wasn't even a term. We didn't know who to speak to. We spoke to all the professionals, you know, in the Goldmans and and the advisory firms, you know, the JP Morgans and whatever it is, Credit Suisse, like all nobody understood this stuff, right? So you couldn't use that language. We internally could, you know, um, but we couldn't use it at all. Uh, And we didn't even know how to find products. We had to create our own you know, our own green buildings, our own solar farms, wind farms. You know, we were, we were building it ourselves because we didn't know where else to look. Um, you know, and, of course, there were a few others, but there was no rallying call. Um, about six, seven years ago when we started the investment company, it was still there. It was still early days, but you couldn't build a business on it. Um, what you're asking, I guess, on the concessionary nature is, for me, again, let's take it away from the numbers to people. Because essentially it's people, like numbers don't buy Coca-Cola, people buy Coca-Cola, right? <laughs> and, and you know, and Coca-Cola know that, so they play the game of trying to encourage people to feel like they need Coke to be happy or, you know, putting ingredients in there that make it, you know, so delicious that, you know, it becomes addictive, you know, sugar and, and other things. So, so they play that game, right? And to date, a lot of that game was played by that old economy, a, manipulate, a manipulating game. And I think what's happening, and I think this is a beautiful time to be in this space, 
is that there's, the, there's an extraordinary wake-up. And the wake-up is happening for many, many different reasons. And, you know, that would be a whole other podcast of whether it's, you know, the fall of religion that's creating an alternative sort of wake-up call to people, whether it's, you know, sort of uh, an age of, you know, technology that's bringing people back to, to themselves. I don't know, right? A whole lot of things. But we know that there's a huge movement that's waking up to things like organics, you know, to things um, that we care about, like, you know, uh, climate change and, and global warming, which, you know, obviously renewable energy and, and efficiency and things like that, um, you know, to health issues. To health, I mean, it's huge, the understanding that we've got in health, not as a sickness conversation, but as a wellness conversation around air quality, around lifestyle, around stress, around mental health, you know, all these things are, are, are you know, blossoming. It's like a forest of, of excitement and and, and awakening, right, in these areas. Now, of course, that's what the market is, right? If, if a 1,000 people want organic strawberries, then, you know, somebody should be growing organic strawberries and will probably do quite well off them. If a million people want organic strawberries, suddenly that's, you know, that's a serious market. So I guess in the old terms, when you sort of thought, is it a compromise? Well, it would have been a compromise if you were the only organic eggs and there's nobody who wants to buy organic eggs, right? And so maybe 20 years ago, you know, renewable energy, green buildings didn't, you know, they, they weren't at the, at the zeitgeist. They weren't at the front of people's minds. Mm. So, so it was a compromise. Also, easy technology has made these things, you know, some of them at least, cheaper. It is more expensive to grow healthy food, right, at the moment because we have externalities. Externalities externalise the cost of cheap food, you know, the health costs on the other side, the costs on, on our soils, on our carbon, all these things. And if you want to grow regenerative agriculture, it costs more, right? It just does. The thing that we're finding is people are prepared to pay more, right? And there are more people who are prepared to pay more. So, you know, I guess if you would have invested in organics, you know, you can go to Walmart or go to Safeway or, or you know, whatever, you know, grocery chains you have in your in your part of the world, um, you know, the organic shelves are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right, even in the, in the traditional, um, you know, grocers. Uh, so that's unbelievable. And I look at that and I think, you know, if you would have, you know, put your money into the organics or into, you know, regular conventional farming, you know, you just have double-digit growth in organics. So there's something, I think, of, again, understanding that people are at the centre, right, which leads me back again, which always does, it's our work here. Right, mm -hmm. you know, as people wake up to their better selves, wake up to their connectedness, interconnectedness, connectedness to to ourselves, to each other, to nature, right? The interrelated interconnectedness and interdependence of all life on Earth. If they wake up to, you know, even the ideas around mental health, it's all about connectedness, you know, like so deeply. Obviously, I'm not saying it's nothing to do with anything else, but you know, so profoundly around this concept of connectedness, love, community. You know, all the research says you know you want to live longer, you want to live healthier, have really close relationships, deep close relationships. That's unbelievable, right? It's like as it's as good as stopping smoking. Have deep close relationships, like like it's you know that's profound. So. I guess you ask, is it concessionary? It's not concessionary at the moment that the world is heading in this direction and we've got the huge transfer of wealth that we all know about, you know, going to the next generation, which which will be, you know, disproportionate to the past to women, 
you know, it should be equally to women now, but in the past it was not equally to women. So we have this huge, you talked about the yin-yang, you know, yeah. the masculine. Feminine. And, of course, again, reminding masculine and feminine are not um, unique to males and females. Many men have the masculine and feminine inside, as do women. Um, but it does seem to trend that, you know, women bring a lot more feminine uh, to the world than men do at the moment. So you've got, you know, as we're starting to approach it with that mindset, we're starting to say, you know, how do we bring the whole? How do we integrate these things? How do we look at interconnectedness? How do we create products uh, or investments? I don't love the word products. Um, that, 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 that speak to our wholeness. Well, if there's a whole movement of people who are trying to be whole, the Brene Brown movement, you know, millions and millions of people watching and reading this, you know, um, this, is, this is responding to them. This is where they want to live. These are the houses they want to live in. These are the, 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 the offices they want to work in. These are the clothes they want to buy, Patagonia. You know, these are the magazines they want to read. They don't want to, you know, I don't want to read the paper anymore. Right, because the newspapers just tell me death and destruction. It tells me there was a shark attack, or there was a knife attack, or there was some kind of an attack. Right, which is like it's only news because it doesn't happen often. Right, it doesn't say, "Hey, somebody helped somebody," you know, like somebody helped their grandmother do the shopping again. Right. Yeah. But that's what's happening all the time. So I think my response is, it's not that these things are becoming um, equal in terms of like you know cost. It's more that we just have a new, a whole new market that's coming to this with the mindset that, that we share, and and hopefully that takes over the world. But again, that mindset from the earliest conversation, the earliest thing you said, is coming from an internal shift, which yeah. is why the outer work, the outer work cannot be done independent from the inner work, right? Because this wake up is an inner work thing, you know, whether it's through therapy, whether it's through through connectedness to nature, all these things. Are waking us up to the idea that that you know disconnection is not the way to um the way to interact in the world. So let's project ourselves forward a little bit. If this notion of inner being becomes more front and centered and more awareness around our inner beingness, um, you know, use the term connectivity, uh, relationships. Uh, essentially, that's suggesting that um, my body and my being on earth is merely sort of an energetic uh, sphere that's also working with other energetic spheres. So it's not really that there's a Gino per se, or there's not really sort of a Danny per se. We're, there's only a Gino and Danny because the semiotic realm superimposes it on our bodies. And then we have a mm -hmm. culture that reifies it through language that puts us all into these separate little silos and and we're all these little silos sort of bumping into each other but but the energy fields actually works differently um there's much more permeability between all of us humans and all the animal species and all the plants on, on earth and and the cosmological order my question to you is is that when grounded um, down to what does the economy look like if we were able to get critical mass around awareness on inner being? Like, what does the world look like 10 to 20 years from now when my son Nathan is just starting college? Your kids will be a little out of college, and um, <laughs> perhaps maybe college doesn't even exist then. My point being is, yeah. is that I, I really think that visualization is a very powerful motivation. Uh, a sense of that gives people an opportunity to map out what's possible. And 
I know you're working mm. on it, but I like to get it. Like, let's take it out there and let's imagine the world has embraced inner beingness. What does the world look like? I mean, it's it's such an extraordinary question, and I think I think that there's um, it, it's almost like you know I was thinking you know you're sort of asking what is the transport mode of the future right now we've got cars and you know petrol cars and you know and we, we can try and visualize out as far as we can um, and I'm going to come back to that but but on the journey you create the hybrid right the hybrid and then the hybrid of the hybrid and the hybrid of the hybrid and you're heading towards this thing so so I guess a lot of a lot of the work that we do is accepting that you know that you know, we're not going to reach the top of the mountain. And in, indeed, I don't know if there is a top of the mountain because, of course, you know, our ability to, to think in that interconnected way, right, is influenced by our external system, by, you know, by the words we have, by the system we're in, by the paradigms that we can hold. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like somebody will create that breakthrough, but we need the right conditions, the right soil for that breakthrough idea to take us you know, to realise actually we thought that was the top of the mountain, you know. Imagine universal peace. And, you know, we were speaking about that, you know, all the good uh, beauty pageants, you know, wish for world peace. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that's that's profound. But, but you know, once we have like a, a sense of peace, we'll realise actually it's not peace. It's something way beyond peace. It's, you know, it's love. It's interconnectedness. So, so. Uh, I'm just, I guess, acknowledging, acknowledging the journey that that question yeah. is really asking us. My sense of of what it could look like, or at least some parts, is is redefining a lot. I was just in Bhutan actually with a group of 22 um, friends and colleagues um, on a journey we, we we call, you know, sort of a leadership in the new economy. Really asking exactly that question, and and we had a beautiful session talking about utopia. You know, what does this look like? Exactly your question. And we said, what if we redefined, you know, education, the education system to learning, you know, redefined healthcare system to wellness, you know, redefined, um, you know, uh, our housing or, or property market to our homes, you know, like so. So that redefining of, of these concepts, I think, um, is the first step. You know, I don't know that that's the answer, but what does learning look like? Like I'm, you know, I'm not in school. I'm not in a school system. I'm not in any formal education system at the moment. You know, I'd love to go back and study, but I am always learning. You know, every book I read, every conversation I have. So in my mind, it's it feels something like that, like a redefinition of of these terms that that, that, that are discrete, that create disconnection. Um, you know, like I'm at school, I'm not at school. It's, you know, it's, it's fluidity. It's accepting paradox, accepting, you know, we had a beautiful conversation around, around a dilemma that somebody had. And somebody said, you know, oh, I went to bed last night and I was just trying to solve, solve the dilemma. I was trying to solve. Right. And the question was, what if it's not, it's not something to solve. Right. You know, like the dilemma of death. Right. Death is not something to solve. I don't want to solve death. You know, it's like I don't want to solve nighttime, like darkness. Just darkness is a problem. If we could just solve it. Right. And it's like, no, darkness is just the other side of light and it's beautiful. Right. And it's scary because we can't see. But there's something in that. And I don't think that if we just leave the lights on all night, everything will be good. You know, um, 
And that's it. So these things aren't just problems to be solved, even though they feel, you know, like the other or or separateness. But if you sort of look at day and night and say these are these are two distinct separate entities, a zero and a one, you know, life and death, then, yes, you're solving for the one that you don't want. If you see it as an integrated whole, you know, the paradox that those two things, death is actually all what defines life. You know, darkness, you know, like is required for light to be to exist, you know, um, uh, then then um, then I think we've got a whole new way of thinking about this future. Um, that said, we also live, we, it's also true that we live discrete lives. Like at the end of the day, you know, if I fall out of a tree, I get hurt, you don't get hurt, you know, <laughs> physically. I feel yeah. the pain, the empathy. But so 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 we, we hold those two things. We both we are separate, and there's something beautiful about being separate. I love the fact that I have my kids and they're mine, and I can kiss them, and I can cuddle, and I can lick them, and I can eat their faces because they're so cute, right? Um, and that's gorgeous. I, I like the fact that 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 they're mine, you know, that I, ha- I have that connection to them. Um, you know, and I don't know that I could have that connection with, you know, a billion kids. It would sure. be weird if I got your kids and started kissing them like I do mine. But so so we hold those two things. I think the future in 20 years is 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 more of an more of an acceptance of the yin and yang, more of an acceptance of connection and disconnection and the, inter, the interrelatedness of those two, right? Yeah. You know, holding things but also understanding their fluidity, how they can, you know, um, you know, slide through our fingers, like sand, you know, sand, it's particles, but it also acts as a liquid, you know, you put it in your hand and it flows out. So, so you know, I, I think that that there is the mindset. What, what the outcome is um, is going to be really interesting in terms of properties. Um, or cities or or education, I'm not quite sure, but it's holding both. And I think today at the moment our system is so so much um, influenced by by the discrete, you know, by the separation, by, you know, the reductionist, you know, methodology, uh, which, again, I'm not saying that's bad, just that's like that's like night and day and all we've done is we've decided on day and night and we've decided we only want day, you know, we only want the reductionist. Yeah. If it's not proven if it's not if it's not you know able to be discreet if it's not able to be personalized you know um, then it's not meaningful if it's not able to be measured it's not meaningful and I think we need to hold both of those and that's probably what that 20 years looks like um, in my mind um, that that people will just be so deeply integrated and understanding both the self as a separate entity and the community is in interconnection, you know, both human community and then the global community of life mm. as connect, right? And what, what would that look like if we hold both of those at the same time? Um, you know, it's a bit like saying, you know, am I, am I a father or am I a husband? You know, which one is it going to be? And, and I don't, I don't, I'm both. Right, they're both discreet. They both have separate jobs attached to them. One is, you know, to look, look after my wife and make sure she's always happy. You know, one is to, you know, teach my kids how to be resilient and and strong in the world and 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 be loved. And but I hold them both at the same time, and I integrate them both, and I do them both all the time because more often than not, right, I have both my wife and my kids with me. So it's not just, oh, honey, today I'm going to be a father. You know. Yeah. 
So I don't know. That wasn't very concrete, but uh, but I wonder with that mind, what do I we mean, what do we do in the new economy? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and I mean, I I, I wouldn't. Um, I, I sort of want to play off this idea in a Forbes article. You talked about this idea, and it's related that you don't necessarily pursue a growth agenda when investing. Um, mm. And maybe 20 years from now, there's other ways to conceive business investment beyond just a growth agenda. And I agree with you that there's a sort of a hegemonic impulse that automatically colonizes um, everybody's uh, motivation around growth. And you guys have been sort of reconceiving that and rethinking that, reimagining it. I can imagine that being part of the 20 year uh, experience as well. Uh, Vision, maybe you can articulate a little bit how, how you guys have shifted away from um, growth as the primary motivation uh, as part of your investments. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's such a beautiful thought. Does somebody actually, um, I don't know who came up with it, but, you know, sort of speaking about the concept of growth in a forest and what is sustainable growth for a forest, um, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's, I mean, yes, all the trees are growing and, and you know, but it gets to, a, 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 gets to harmony, gets to some form of equilibrium, right, where it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's holding itself, right? It's not, you know, it's not like all the trees are just going to keep on growing until they reach the, the clouds, um, so th- there is there is that sense, but in the beginning, when a new forest is being born, then there's, there's a lot of growth, right? Uh, the human body's the same. Like you know, your kid, my kids, they're still growing, but you know, I'm not going to get any taller, right? You know, in my life. Um, so growth actually is is not a bad word. It's just like what what kind of growth, you know? Like I grow my my wisdom, hopefully. I grow, I grow my relationships and my depth of connection to people, but I don't grow inside. So I guess when you talk about growth for small giants, we don't have a growth agenda in terms of size. Um, you know, Barry and I, um, you know, Barry and I have more than we need for our lifetime. Um, and, you know, that's a, from financially, that's, a you know, a blessing that, that came with the curse of her father dying. But, um, you know, but nonetheless, that, that's a privilege that we have. And that's where we sort of started. You know, we have more, more than we need. Um, so we don't have a growth agenda from the from the money perspective. Now that said, it's not, you know we're not opposed to you know if we do an investment and it, and it grows, that's that's a wonderful thing. I think probably more so than anything, it's that to bring other people on the journey, we still have to speak that old language of growth. Um, but internally, we have no agenda attached to that, right? Um, but once we get to that point there, and we sort of realise we have enough, we are enough, right? So get rid of the growth agenda and sort of say, well, what is it? It's still about growing, but it's it's growing love and empathy and compassion, growing the inner, in the inner work, growing in, in all those things I mentioned, connectedness and, you know, and inspiration and, and, and learning and, and all these things um, and impact, right? So those things are, are, are beautiful things. But it's funny that when you start doing that work, you realise actually the concept of enough, right, is not a financial concept. So that's also, I think, a, a journey that that's very difficult, I think, in our society today to hear, particularly someone with wealth. And I, so I understand that that's not, 
that that's not well received often when you sort of say, you know, people say it's because you have so much that you can afford to have that attitude. And I don't believe that's true. You know, I've met many people who have very little, right, who have the same attitude. I am enough. I have enough, you know, and my life is dedicated to service. Um, You know, Mother Teresa's, you know, an obvious global example, but a whole lot of small examples of of people who have made those choices. Um, uh, and and that's that, that I think is is again a beginner journey. The outer journey, of course, is how do we create a system that allows people to hold that space? You know, at the moment, I think in America that's really difficult from a healthcare perspective. You know, because it's not enough if you get sick. In Australia, we have free healthcare. I walk into a hospital and I'll, you know, have whatever needs to be done. You know, at the expense of the state. Uh, which is wonderful. So when someone, someone sort of says, well, I need I need to have that, that million dollars just in case I get sick. Well, you know, maybe we could create a society that you don't need to have that in case you get sick. Maybe we'll create a society where, where you know, basic, a basic amount of food is a human right, you know, not an economic conversation, where there are supermarkets that just say, you know, actually this, you know, this fresh food is, is free for all, you know, education maybe. I mean, you know, th- these are design questions that allow the inner, our best inner selves. Mm. Uh, so, so we've come to, you know, because of our good fortune financially, you know, we've come to that uh, that realisation and then are using that fortune, right, that good fortune, um, to try and create the external um, environment for others who maybe don't have as much to be able to come to that same solution you know, affordable housing, et cetera. Like if we if we can think of the system like that, you asked about the vision of the future, you know, I would say that, yeah, a whole lot of things uh, are now taken for granted as, as essentials for human life. And we've been talking about very practical physical things, you know, the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy, but the top as well, you know, things like love, you know, love should be something that, you know, that, that is free for all. Um you know, and um, and I think that, again, that's a design question, right? You know, are we designing communities where people feel connected? Are we, are we finding spiritual places of worship, whether, you know, traditional religion or not, places where people can connect on that, on that you know, on that higher level of consciousness? Um, all those elements of Maslow's, you know, pyramid, you know, yeah. need, 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 need to be supported. You know, and then you can sort of say, well, additional to that are all the addition, the extra luxuries that, that people can have and let the economic system deal with those luxuries, right? Yeah. But, you know, the basic, the basic, you know, elements of, of what we need to be our best selves I think should be our design conversation, our question about, you know, what future, what, what is impact investing really trying to do? And at the end, when we design it, we'll find that impact investing itself doesn't exist. You know, my sense that anybody has that much wealth compared to somebody else wouldn't exist in that system. You'd never get there. Yeah. Um, So, you know, deeper questions around ownership, you know, and accumulation of wealth, accumulation of power would be restructured in that. That's, I mean, in a small sense, it's why we have the director of yin and yang to try and sort of, you know, show that there there can be a breakup of, of power. It doesn't have to be concentrated in one person. Where I'd like to wrap up, Danny, is relatedly, it's or related, it's uh, part of the growth that uh, you guys are creating is, I believe, um, through this impact safari. And um, if you can give us sort of, um, I just feel like it's 
it's um, something that I know your voice gets very excited around. Um, you brought a lot of great souls um, along that journey and would like to hear um, hear what it is and sort of where it's going, if it's going anywhere um, and um, sort of what uh, shape is it taking currently? Well, I do love that because I got back on Monday, so two, three days ago from, from an impact safari, that one to Bhutan that I mentioned. Um, Essentially, it was a, a really fun name that, that a guy named Kyle Lofgren, one of our one of our team, came up with. As you know, imagine you know safari. The big thing, oh, sorry, um, the big thing about safari is you know it's an adventure. You, you you know you're going somewhere, you're getting immersed. You know you're sitting inside, you know the jeep with all the animals around you. And and so the idea of an impact safari is how do we immerse ourselves in an exciting adventure? to explore this stuff, the stuff that you and I are talking about. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole lot of, you know, I mean, again, both research, but, it, it, you know, you can look inwards and just say, when do I feel, you know, most connected and most inspired, um, uh, you know, about the idea of being taken away, you know, being removed from your usual life into a container, right, to explore and, and do something deep and being held in that space. So that's, that's Impact Safari. And then you ask, okay, so what do we do? We go to Bhutan. Bhutan is, you know, a country, an extraordinary country that have chosen to focus on international happiness as the driver of their development and gross national product or GDP, gross domestic product. And so they've created a whole system, almost like a new, new economy, a new economic system to ask how do we make decisions for our country, for, for development? Um, and development is not necessarily growth. Right, growth is one element of it, um, and it incorporates things like, um, you know, health and education, the obvious things that, that you know, our, you know, um, Western, you know, capitalist democracies focus on. But then it also has psychological well-being, time use, cultural diversity, right? So they ask all these questions as part of their growth, so as part of their development. So question, should we build that, that freeway or that hospital or that casino Right, would be asked not in terms of how many jobs does it create or how much productivity does it bring or, you know, how much growth to the area, how much money does it bring in, but how is it going to affect time use for the people involved? How does it improve cultural diversity? How does it improve psychological well-being? How does it improve governance? Right? Um, and they're the questions. So, so the impact safari, we're going into these different places like Bhutan to really open our minds to what could be right? What are the different ideas? And it's not that Bhutan is perfect. It's just moving to a different place. It's like, you know, why do we, why do we travel? You know, travel just, just opens our minds to new ideas. So impact safari and travel experiences into places like Bhutan, or it might be going to Sweden to look at governance, you know, social democracies, as opposed to, you know, sort of the, the very, you know, financially driven capitalist democracies that, that, you know, that, that maybe dominate America and, and you know, increasingly Australia. Um, you know, let's have a look at that, or maybe let's go to Patagonia to look at you know climate change or the environment. And so, impact safaris are trying to take us into these these extraordinary sort of places. Wow, I love it. To hold the experience yeah. of of a, of a narrative, of a paradigm shift, of asking these questions. Both, what would the external look like? You know, what's that new economy conversation? And what does the inner look like? What are our best selves? You know, our self-actualization journey. How do we how do we lead? How do we be citizens in this new economy? What type of 
of, of mindset do I need? What type of relationship do I need? What type of, um, you know, what type of intention uh, do I need to have? Um, or, or, you know, brings out the best in me. So that's yeah. what in this particular one, what was great is, uh, as the leadership in the new economy, very much looking at the external gross national happiness, like is that sort of what we're driving towards? And happiness is seen as, you know, like deep, deep well-being and connectedness, not, you know, smiley happiness. Um, and that was the outer conversation. But, of course, it has to come to the inner, you know, what makes you happy, what drives you. Um, and then the conversation naturally leads then to ego. And saying, well, are you driven by ego, you know, fear, greed, status, envy, you know, are those things what's driving you? I want to win the gold medal because I want to be the best, right? Or is what's driving you compassion and empathy where actually I want to solve climate change because I love, I'm connected to all these things, right, that will be hurt, right? So I'm not, I don't want to solve climate change to win a gold medal, Right. You know, whereas some people do, some people still, even in that game, are doing it for the recognition, are doing it for that. So they're the conversation we can have, both the external, what type of culture, society we want to create, and the internal, what's our intention and motivation, what's driving us, you know, how do we express ourselves in a way that's that's aligned, that's in harmony with nature, you know. Um, so that's impact safari. And so we try and we do that, you know, deep conversations. We do it through physical stuff, so we whitewater rafting, we go hiking, we, you know, and spiritual, you know, meditate, we go to temples, we explore spiritual texts and religious texts. So really trying to use, you know, mind, body, spirit as a journey towards understanding where we're going outside and where we're going inside. Yeah. Pretty wow, that's beautiful. Well, um, thank you so much. Um, We've just been listening to Danny Almagor for the past hour, um, co-founder along with his wife and I should say many other Australians and other beautiful souls have created uh, Small Giants and they are a beacon of hope on what we can do as we learn to steward our resources, our ambitions and hopes. And essentially what it comes down to is how can we live a more integrative life and how can we contribute to integration and integration is closely aligned with what it means to feel alive in the world. And I, there's many takeaways um, from this. And um, but when it comes down, to if I chose one term, it'd be integration. Is what's well, at sort of the heart of this discovery that um, you um, you're on, that you're leading other people on, and other people are leading you on uh, mm. as well. So. Look forward to uh, seeing you in late May in Tel Aviv, Danny. Thanks again for putting that together. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be a very special trip um, for myself, as that will be my first trip to Israel. And to actually be led by um, a bunch of impactful folks and who already sort of know the ins and outs of Israel and can show us sort of rookies the way. I mean, that's um, it's a treat for sure. Thanks. Have a good rest of the rest of the day. My uh, babysitting duty started five minutes ago, so I need to check out. Um, thanks all for joining. Again, Gino Borges here with Danny Almagor uh, signing off. We will have Joel Solomon and um, Joel Solomon and John Fullerton, along with many others, coming up over the next two to three weeks. And look forward for you to join us for that. Thanks, Danny. Have a good day. 
Thank you for listening to The Journey to Impact. If you enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word by subscribing to this series on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends on your favorite social media platform. For a preview of our previous or upcoming episodes, visit www.poetryofimpact.com. 